This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. In this episode, we're going to hear a personal story from Celeste Chapko. She's going to tell us about her experience through severe postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression, which led to a voluntary psych hospitalization. But she's also going to give us a glimpse back into how she got there, specifically what her pregnancy and postpartum experiences were like with her other children and some signs and symptoms that weren't fully noticed until her third child. It is really so important for us to be hearing other people's stories through their anxiety and depression because hearing their the details of their experience really helps us recognize it in ourselves. So in this episode, you're going to hear a little bit about her experience through anxiety during pregnancy and rage during pregnancy, and then the increase of her symptoms over time, as well as her finding healing and her journey to helping new mothers now. Celeste lives with her husband and three children in Northwest Indiana. She's the founder of Childbirth Melodies, soon to be the Northwest Indiana Center for Maternal Wellness, offering individual and group peer support and music therapy to moms dealing with postpartum depression and other perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. She's a survivor of severe postpartum depression and anxiety and is passionate about supporting moms on their journey to wellness. Celeste is also a volunteer state coordinator, online peer support group leader, and climb out of the darkness leader for Postpartum Support International. Let's meet Celeste. Welcome, Celeste. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I am grateful to you that you are open and willing to come on and share your personal story and a little bit about what you're doing now to help other moms and families who've gone through some really difficult times. I just really, really value being able to hear personal stories and share this with others so that you know people can know that they're not alone. So I'm grateful to you for that. For sure. I'm happy to be here and share. And I know that hearing stories like this when I was in the midst of it would have helped me so much. So I'm happy to be here. Great. So feel free to start wherever you'd like to start on your journey. 
Sure. So my journey with postpartum depression and anxiety starts when I was seven months pregnant with my daughter and she is seven now Mm -hmm. and she was my third. So that was also kind of a factor in here. I wasn't expecting this to be my story. So I was seven months pregnant with her and I started experiencing rage and anxiety and it seemingly came out of nowhere. Of course, through many years of therapy, we kind of see, you know, signs of that earlier on with my other two. But yeah, so rage and anxiety symptoms. I went to my OB and I told them what was going on. They gave me a short list of therapists. I was fine finding a therapist. My background is as a music therapist. So, and I had seen a therapist before. So I called one and no answer, called another not taking patients, called the third one, the last one, and they got me in and I saw her, wasn't a good fit, saw someone else in the office. And that therapist said, you know what, you might have postpartum depression after your baby comes, but you're probably going to just be fine. Mm. And that was what I stuck to because my personality was very much perfectionist personality and everything is fine. And I can fake this as long as I need to. Mm-hmm. So I just held on to that, but I continued to go to therapy because I wasn't feeling well. And she was born 17 days early. My other two, one was on time, one was late. And I really believe in hindsight that she came because she knew I couldn't handle it anymore, mm-hmm. that I was going to lose it, you mm-hmm. know? So she came early. She spent five days in the NICU. She was perfectly healthy minus there was just a few like breathing issues. And of course, they have to do all these tests. And so I was holding it together during that time. And also have not mentioned that I had a three and a half and a one and a half year old as well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So just a little bit of stuff going on. So I was holding it together, getting all the things done and just, um, you know, brought her home and week by week, I just tried to keep convincing myself that nothing was wrong. I would go online and look up symptoms, probably on Postpartum Support International's website. I really have no idea what I was doing at that time. Just Googling. Your symptoms. Yeah, Googling my symptoms and trying to see what was going on and trying to convince myself it wasn't postpartum depression. And I just kept thinking what my mind was telling me was, you know, if I just eat better and drink more water and pray (laughs) more and exercise more, like it's all going to go away and it's going to be fine. But then when I started having intrusive thoughts, that was, you know, a big red light that this was not okay. And after having a few, probably more than a few, I called my OB office and told them what was going on. And it took a couple nurses, a couple people on the phone to get me somebody who kind of knew what to say to me. Mm. And they prescribed Zoloft over the phone, 25 milligrams. And so I started taking that thinking, not really accepting that I had postpartum depression, even though, hello, like I was in therapy and I was on a medication, but I still was just in denial. So I kept going to the therapist. And so that was about five weeks postpartum. So I kept going to therapy, kept taking the medication about every month. I'd be talking with my therapist and I would call and just say, this isn't working. I need to up my medication because I'm not feeling well. So we would up it, you know, 50 and then 75 and then a hundred. And No one ever told me to go see a psychiatrist to help me manage my meds better. And I didn't have any peer support at this time. So I was just going to therapy and had that medication. And then during this time, I was having some panic attacks and my anxiety was so intense. It was debilitating. So I was not really functioning that well. This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go. And that is very true for our children's education. 
And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. I remember just being able to, you know, I knew I had to feed the kids and change their diapers and keep them safe. But beyond that, you know, my husband, he would come home and I would just be rocking my baby in a chair, you know, and the toddlers mm -hmm. would be watching a movie or something. And I would just be staring out into space, not really able to do much. And there'd yeah. be times where... I would call him in the middle of the afternoon, just crying hysterically and like, you have to come home because I don't know what I'm going to do, you mm -hmm. know? I was going to ask if it was um, in part because of the intrusive thoughts. Yep. So the intrusive thoughts, they continued with the anxiety. And of course, I was not sleeping well, you know, not sleeping well at all. Mm -hmm. And just my mind wouldn't stop. My mind would not stop. So I couldn't stop. I just had to keep doing all the things and keeping up the appearance yeah. and yeah. So then I was seven months postpartum and I didn't know what else to do. I had felt like I had no other options mm. in that moment. I probably would not have admitted that if we don't do this, I might hurt myself. But like looking back at that, that's exactly what was going to happen. You know, mm. we had to take some sort of action here. Right. I felt like nobody really knew what to do with me, but also I wasn't admitting it all. Right. Like I wasn't telling mm. everyone what was really going on and how bad it was because from the outside, like I was taking care of the kids, right? And so uh -huh. right. everything looked fine. Yeah. So I called my husband at work and said, I need you to come home and take me to the hospital. So mm -hmm. he came home and I went to the hospital and that's a whole experience in itself. You know, that was... What kind of hospital did you go to? In um, it's a regular hospital, but in our area, it's the one that has the psych unit. You know, okay. it's a local hospital. Um, it's known as where you go if you need to go to the psych unit and they have 
you know, a locked and a not locked unit. And I say when people ask me about it, there's no way that experience cannot be traumatic. Of course, mm-hmm. it's a traumatic experience, but it was the best place for me at the time. Mm-hmm. And really, that was a turning point for me because when I came out, I was there for five days. Mm-hmm. And when I came out, I came out on four different medications and a referral to a psychiatrist, finally, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so I started meeting with a psychiatrist. It took me about a year to get on the right cocktail of meds, which mm-hmm. I would have never have thought because I had never been on psychiatric meds before, right. but I came out on, kept on the Zoloft. I think it was Wellbutrin maybe an antipsychotic and then Trazodone for sleeping. And uh-huh. so I came out on that and spent about a year trying to get on the right meds to figure it out. And then probably another year or two to get me where I felt like I was really stabilized and really starting to begin my journey to wellness. And so that has just continued I still see a therapist once a month and I have a naturopath and a chiropractor and self-care is a whole different ballgame these days because it wasn't wasn't really part of my vocabulary Mm -hmm. before this whole experience, but it is crucial to my well-being. So, and that's that in a nutshell. (laughs) Yeah, right. So that's kind of like the Cliff Notes version of your experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sure. Really, really, really challenging, difficult, confusing uh, mm-hmm. times through that. If I can go back a little bit, I mentioned that this began, or at least it was noticed by you first in pregnancy with your third, but that there may have been some signs looking back in other postpartum or other pregnancies. Yes, for sure. I would say I don't remember anything really during my first pregnancy, but during my first postpartum, my son, he was breached that we found out at the hospital, which is always fun. (laughs) And that ended up in a C-section, even though I had my doula and my, you know, birth plan for everything natural. So that was traumatic in itself. And then coming home and the nursing not working was a huge source of anxiety for me. And just the pumping after every feeding and taking Mm -hmm. all the herbal supplements to try to get it. And then just kind of some issues with my incision from the C-section, just a lot of anxiety that, I mean, those types of things can happen to anyone. But looking back, I see my reaction to those and just how much anxiety was just rolling through my body and really not helping me be the best mom I could be, but you know, that's what it was. That was my motherhood experience. And that's all I knew. Right. Yeah. Looking back at that, I can just see, wow, like I really could have used some help (laughs) during that time. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that was the first and for the, any symptoms and signs for the second? Oh, sure. (laughs) So, I mean, by the time I had my second, you know, he wasn't even two, so two little ones. And again, I had nursing issues and I tried all the same things. And my second I was able to do a VBAC with him, but I ended up hemorrhaging. And so that's kind of a whole traumatic, that is traumatic. And then just being weak because of that and having to deal with that and just the anxiety of taking care of two kiddos. And so, yes. And then the whole nursing issues, those actually continued with my third. And I didn't really put it all together until later, but I tried to bring this up with different providers and I never really got a straight answer, but I really believe that I was living in fight or flight for so long and my cortisol levels were so high that my body was just like, there's no way I'm producing prolactin for you. Right, right, right. (laughs) You know, how can, how, how, that's just not even possible. So, but no one ever really correlates those. We don't really talk about that, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it is a relatively common experience for people to who have experienced trauma or something that impacts, well, any number of things, but certainly the bond, the connection, but there's many, many things that happen within the body that manage and control your systems. And you're right, if you're mm-hmm. in fight or flight for a long time, your body is not always, but you know, not in every single situation, but certainly, yeah. People have described having nursing, breastfeeding, production issues, or any number of things. I mean, certainly there's a whole constellation of things that can contribute to that, but absolutely. For sure. And we don't talk about how much guilt and shame that causes a mother, which then leads to anxiety and it just catapults, you know. Right. Yeah. And more anxiety and more depression also impact breastfeeding. Yep, exactly. It's a lot. So right by by the time your third came around, your stress load was already very, very high. Mm-hmm, for uh, sure. Okay. And that, I mean, I imagine contributed to this kind of what I would describe as like a snowballing of symptoms and intensity. For sure. That's exactly what it was. You know, I mean, when you have three babies in less than four years and you're not really taking care of yourself and you're functioning in that fight or flight for even longer than that, I mean, that was just kind of my go-to as my personality. And so these days I refer to myself as a recovering perfectionist because I don't think you ever really lose those tendencies, but I just know that that does not serve me well anymore. And so, you know, I don't label myself as a perfectionist anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good for you. So yeah, obviously you've done some looking back and some healing through things. Mm -hmm, Uh, For sure. Yeah. And then if I can also go back again to during pregnancy, what were you mentioned having anxiety and rage? Can you give us a glimpse into what that felt like and looked like for you at the time? Mm. Because a lot of people aren't able to notice or not able to notice necessarily, but if they're having anxiety and rage during pregnancy, it often is like much easier for people to say like, oh, well, I'm pregnant. It must be the hormones or whatever, or, you mm-hmm. know, discounted in some way. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering if like a, an example of what it felt or looked like could. For sure. Mm-hmm. So for the anxiety, I would just say I was worried about a lot of things excessively, just the well-being of my children, the well-being of what I was doing, you know, like what you're eating, what you're drinking, what you're exposed to as a pregnant mom. I was just worried nonstop about all those things and also obsessing over things that were just, I couldn't let go. So my mind was just constantly going, constantly obsessing over what about this? What about this? Just Mm -hmm. all those what if scenarios. And then I can specifically remember the rage. That's kind of hard to forget really when it comes to having an episode of rage. I mean, I had two toddlers, so obviously (laughs) they were probably fighting and I was getting overwhelmed and I remember taking a baby gate and throwing it, you know, not at the toddlers, but Mm -hmm. taking it and throwing it, you know, across into the other room or something and just, and then, or another instance would be yelling at them, you know, because I just got so frustrated and I just Mm -hmm. kind of flipped my lid, you know, you just can't take it anymore. And the voice that came out of me after I yelled, I was, you're just like, who was that? Right. right? Yeah. You feel it's an out of body experience when it comes to rage. And you just are like, who just said that? Who just acted that way? And right. it was multiple steps beyond getting angry. Yeah. It's an out of body experience. Right. So yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That is really scary to have that feeling. For sure. Um, but so many people have it. Oh, yes. so many yes. people have it. And really and, nobody wants to admit or talk about mm-hmm. it because it's hard. It is. It is. Really, really hard. Okay. So 
you went through this whole, and I'm assuming now still fight or flight this whole time, birth and this postpartum period sounds like, again, there was this like increasing intensity of symptoms over time. So what was, if I can ask a couple of details about how did you know to go to the hospital or what happened for you that you thought, okay, this is sort of, I need a next level of help? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is the hospital. It felt, I would think for most moms, it feels like last resort, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have a new baby, you don't want to go to the hospital. But the only reason I ended up there is because I felt like I had no other choice. And I felt like if I stay home and continue this way, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to hurt myself and I'm going to hurt somebody in my family because it's, you feel out of control. Yeah. And I felt like I had no answers. I felt yeah. it's one thing to have your husband and your family try to support you and a therapist and your OB, your GP, whatever. But no one around me was saying, I've been through this Mm -hmm. and this is what I did. And this doesn't last forever and you're going to be okay. So if you have no one talking those words of truth into you, you feel absolutely hopeless. Like there's nothing else. And so I just felt, I was just, what else am I supposed to do? Like when you're sick, Uh you have to go to the hospital. And I had all the same pictures in my mind that most people do probably when they think of the psychiatric unit, you know, and thankfully those did not come true, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It is a safe place like it should be. And it was exactly what I needed. There's therapists there and social workers and nurses and, you know, you get time to sleep and they make you your meals. And as a mom, you don't have to cook or clean or Mm -hmm. do anything but take care of yourself. And that was something... I wasn't good at. I didn't know how to take care of myself and then take care of my kids because oh, yeah. the three young kids were consuming everything. Sure. You know? Sure. So all right. Okay. So you had also mentioned that while the hospital was safe and saved you in a lot of ways, that in and of itself it was traumatizing for you. Yes. I don't know how it couldn't be traumatizing because as a mom, you're supposed to hold it all together, right? You're supposed to be the one in charge and you're supposed to take care of these kids. And, and as a society, we make it look like everything is perfect, right? Mm-hmm. And happy mom, happy life, <laughs> happy kids. Right. And so going there, first of all, I'm admitting like I have a problem. Oh, I am not right. okay. And surprise, it's not like a broken leg. It's mm-hmm. a mental problem, you know? So that's a whole nother level of stigma. Not only can I not take care of my kids, but I have a mental disorder. And so that's the first step. I think that was traumatizing was for me to just admit that and go there. And then just to be there. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to be in a hospital with all strangers, right? You're entering this space. And, you know, I remember everyone was kind, but they're all strangers and they don't know me from anyone, Mm -hmm. you know, and you're having to tell your story over and over again. Mm -hmm. And thankfully I was in a room by myself. So that was a big blessing for me. But also something that's hard is that there was no other moms with postpartum depression there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mostly it was people who had drug and alcohol issues. And then of course, some complicated with maybe bipolar, schizophrenia, that sort of thing. But there was no one that I could relate to in that 
my home life was good and I had kids and to take care of and I had a supportive husband, but I just had no support for postpartum depression. And so that was right. what I felt like was my only option. Right. And like you said, it's not ideal, but it's the best you had as an option. But boy, does it really point to the need for more perinatal psych units. For sure. Oh my gosh. I wish that there were spaces where moms could go. More spaces. There are a few, but certainly what you're describing highlights the huge need. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's absolutely a need. I mean, there's no way I would have known this in that position, but you know, I'm not that far from the perinatal intensive outpatient unit in Chicago. But I had no idea because nobody talks about, you know, we're only starting to really talk about postpartum depression and the support Mm -hmm. services that are out there. And so, I mean, I had no idea that that was even a thing, but I would for sure have rather gone there than Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. a random psych unit. You know, right. So that's what I try to do is I, you know, now in my work, I try to educate people that there are resources out there. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I do want to get to what you're doing now to be helping other moms, but can you speak to a little bit about how this whole experience has impacted you? And I mean, you know, we're talking about it. It happened sort of in the past and you're doing other work now. Just um, let us know what happened for you that got you into what you're doing now. Sure. So needless to say, this whole experience really changed the whole trajectory of my life. You know, it changed everything. I see myself, whether people from the outside looking in see me different, I feel 100% different. I feel like a totally different person having come through this experience. And now sitting on the other side of it, you know, six and a half years later, I'm very thankful for my experience. And Mm -hmm. that's easier to say every year that passes for sure. And just through all the healing journey that I've been on, I would not be doing the work that I'm doing. I wouldn't be able to live my best life, you know, in the way that I am if I didn't go through this experience. So do you want me to speak to professionally how it's changed or? Yeah, I'm any personally or professionally, what, sure. yeah, however you think it is, right? Because to your point, it's while you're going through it, it feels like the worst thing ever. And for some people, it ends up being really transformative. And For sure. So yeah. I spoke earlier about, you know, a big part of it was that perfectionism doesn't rule my life anymore. Yeah. And so that's a big part of my journey. And then I also spoke to how self-care is a huge part of my life Mm -hmm. and I am more compassionate towards myself, which makes me more compassionate towards others. I'm more understanding towards myself and the issues that I'm dealing with. I'm way better at positive self-talk, you know, now that I've been working on it for six years. My personality is more laid back. I feel very much, I'm a very different person, but I would think I'm more happy. I'm a happier person than I was because I was living under so many expectations. Like I had all these expectations of myself of what motherhood should look like and what Celeste should look like as a mother. And I try really hard not to live under those expectations, you know, those unrealistic expectations. Right. Right. That is, so it kind of highlighted for you some things in your life or in your past that you were already doing and helped you to see how you could change it. It's just amazing. I love this part of the transformation for a lot of people because if you can and if you, you know, get the right set of circumstances, it really does 
help you improve your life. A lot of people feel like I'm way better off now than I was before even I went through this. And, you know, there's so much potential for positive change if you allow yourself to get help and if, you know, people around you are supportive. It's really amazing. I 100% agree. And not only has it changed the way I view myself and my life, a huge benefit of this experience is the way that I raise my children Mm. and the way that I teach them to talk to themselves and the way that the way that I teach my daughter to teach all of them to take care of themselves, right? And that it's not selfish to take care of yourself because Mm. I have to put myself first time and time again so that I can take care of my work and my family and everything else. And so I think it's changed my perspective on everything and it's just made me such a better parent. I can't even imagine not having this perspective now as raising, they're now they're seven, eight, and 10. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm so glad that you can sit with that and be with that and feel that, you know, in your family. That's just beautiful. And so your also journey has led you to do different things professionally. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. So when I had little kids, I was working as a music therapist and then I couldn't really figure out how to make that work full time and kind of lost a little bit of my passion. So then I thought, then I was doing special education. I went back and got a master's in special ed and did that for a little bit. And then all hell broke loose, really, literally with my experience. And as I was in the beginning of my journey through postpartum depression and anxiety, I really needed something to focus on, to hold on to. And so I became a doula at that point and I trained in music therapy assisted childbirth. And so I started using music at the bedside and also being there as a doula for mom. So I did that for a while and I eventually I did find a peer support group and decided to start leading my own peer support group because I truly believe that peer support is so, so important for moms who are going through this. And I think that my journey would have looked very different if I had peer support. So yeah, I started leading a peer support group and then that just kind of turned into me focusing on postpartum support and wellness in general. So for the past three years, I've been working, doing individual and group peer support and music therapy with moms with postpartum depression. And that's just slowly, slowly evolved into a variety of different programs. And it's my passion. So this is for sure what I'm meant to do. And I never, you know, and this is what came out of my experience, thankfully. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. 
I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Right. That's amazing. (laughs) I mean, it's a beautiful blend of just your passion and your experience and such a powerful way to help other women. For sure. For sure. It's, yeah, it's my passion. It's my motivation. It's hard work, of course, being a survivor myself. And that's why I'm still in therapy (laughs) for many reasons. I love going to therapy, but it's, you know, this journey as a professional in this field has been very healing for me as well, because Mm -hmm. it's enabled me to confront some of my triggers and just some of different things. Everything doesn't come up in the beginning, right? You don't just heal yourself in two years. So it's been really healing for me to go through this experience. Yeah. And just learn and be able to be there for other moms and hopefully give them encouragement and hope and let them know that they're not alone. Fantastic. Can you speak a little bit to what is the share journey? Sure. So the share journey came out of my intention to want to help moms with peer support. And I was finding that So I run a warm line through my business, Childbirth Melodies, and I am also one of the coordinators for Postpartum Support International. So I take warm line calls from them. And I was finding that I would talk to these moms and I would give them resources and encourage them to come to our local peer support group. And I would usually never hear from them again. I know that a lot of them were not getting the support they need and that they just needed, they needed someone to come alongside them and help connect them to resources and encourage them to keep making the phone calls and keep moving forward and just to give them that hope. So a couple years ago, I created this program. The SHARE Journey stands for Support, Hope, Assessment, Referral, and Education. And what happens is usually moms call me or email me, Facebook message me, whatever. And once I find out that they want more than just the group, we schedule a one-on-one meeting and we do a short intake. There's some educational materials that I give them. We talk about self-care. We put together some referrals for them, whether they need therapy, medication management, whatever they're looking for. And then we put together some kind of soft goals. I don't know how else to say it. These are not, I try to, you know, this is not intense at all. This is, you know, I need to find a therapist. I want to start going for a walk once, you know, um, every other day, things like that. We've come out of this one-on-one meeting and hopefully the mom is feeling much more supported and encouraged and having some sort of hope can see that light at the end of the tunnel. And then Also, the core part of the share journey is texting the mom Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Either myself or one of the volunteers that works for our program, we check in with them. We text them to say, hey, how's it going? We're, you know, hopefully follow up on those goals and give them that support that they need so that they know that they're not alone. This program comes out of, I wish I would have had exactly this when I was struggling, right? I wish I would have had somebody that could say, hey, you're going to be okay. These are the things that you need to do. And really, this does not last forever. This is a short season, mm-hmm. you know, and this is the different things you need to set up and you're going to be okay. So that's what's behind the share journey. I'm super, super passionate, as you can tell about peer support and yeah. um, the program. It was a private pay in the beginning and I was just finding that was a barrier, of course. 
it's one thing for moms to come to a free support group or call a warm line, but moms are not going to be the first ones to invest in themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Especially when it comes to mental health. So we now for the first month is free and it's funded through our annual climb out of the darkness awareness walk that we do. And then if the mom wants to continue, she can do private pay. So that's that's the shared journey. Really, really cool. That's a fantastic program. So like, yeah, anybody who hears that and <laughs> wants to do something like that in their area, gosh, that's needed. It's really For sure. Cool. Really cool. Thank you. Yeah. And you're doing other stuff too. Um, what about the Northwest Indiana Center for Maternal Wellness? So that, that is a transition from Childbirth Maldives, my current business. So Childbirth Maldives was birthed out of my doula business and just kind of slowly went into the postpartum work. And so I've wanted for a while now to create a space that was really more, just really more supporting the overall wellness of moms prenatal through postpartum. So we're just at the beginning of this process, but in the next month or two, hopefully we're going to transition the name from Childbirth Melodies to the Northwest Indiana Center for Maternal Wellness. And then hopefully my vision is to have a variety of practitioners under this. We do, you know, peer support, therapeutic support, medication management, education, maybe some additional support like lactation, chiropractor, massage, that sort of thing, so that a mom can come to us and we don't have the services that she needs. We can connect her with what, you know, what she needs. And so this is for sure needed in my area and I'm sure well across the United States, you know, services like this are needed. So we're just trying to, you know, it's very common for a mom to come to one of our peer support groups and have reached out to her OB and perhaps just gotten a medication referral and not all the peer support and therapeutic support. And so we're just hoping to create that space for a mom so she can get that overall wellness support. That's awesome. Yeah, I love it. That's really, really great. And um, as you said, needed all over the place. For sure. Um, It's it's so much about, like you said, just being there to say that I know this is confusing and hard and you'll get through this and here are some things you can do. That support is invaluable. Mm -hmm. Um, And getting people connected to resources is so like relatively easy to do. But it's, for some reason, so hard to do. It's really mm-hmm. hard when you're in the midst of it to find the resources you need. So if you're you know, out there, handing those resources out, letting people know where they can get the help they need, it's really, really, really helpful for them. For sure. Just to help them on that first step and then go from there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just who knows what to look for and how to look for it, especially when you're overwhelmed by 5 million other mm-hmm. and anxiety and all that. Exactly. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for taking us through the journey of your story and giving us a glimpse into some of those really, really difficult moments. I'm hopeful that the moms and providers and whoever's listening out there can feel seen and heard through your story, as I know so many people are so often. Thankfully, I get some really cool emails that say how helpful it is to hear these stories. So I know that this works. And you know, getting the details that you shared is really important, specifically around the intensity of symptoms and psych hospitalization. Those things are hard to talk about and to have you talk about them here, I know is going to be helpful for someone out there. Well, you're so welcome. And I'm so grateful to have this time to share my story and hopefully encourage other moms that there is support out there and that you just have to take that first step and reach out. Great. Thank you again so much for coming on. Thank you, Dr. Kat. 
I hope those of you who've been listening today can, if you yourself experienced any of this, can find bits and pieces of yourself throughout Celeste's story and feel heard and seen and validated and know that you're not alone. If you'd like to learn more about what Celeste does, you can go to childbirthmelodies.com or on Facebook, Childbirth Melodies, to learn more about her peer support model. If this is your first time joining us on the Mom and Mind podcast, I would love to have you as a subscriber so you can get all of these episodes downloaded directly to you as they come out. And please share these episodes if you know anybody who's going through a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder and could use this support, pass this podcast along. Thanks so much for being with us today. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.